First Corinthians chapter 4, we have been studying through this particular book and we come to a passage, this is the next in the series uh, in our study of this book and it just so happens to be related to spiritual fatherhood as Paul looks at himself as the spiritual father of the Corinthian church. So we look here at 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and we'll be reading from verse 14 through 21. Verse 14 through 21 of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. It reads this way. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus... I became your father through the gospel, and therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways, which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in the church. Now some have become arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. What do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Let's bow in a word of prayer before we begin our study of the word of God this morning. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we might see great and mighty things in thy word. We pray, O God, that you might help us to have a reverence for you, a reverence for your word, for through it you speak to us, O God, in Jesus' most precious name, amen. Today, we want to welcome all of you again, especially those of you who are fathers, and especially those of you who are the children who are normally in the back Sunday school rooms. Every so often, we have special events like Mother's Day, Father's Day, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter, where we worship together as a church family. We feel that's important, and it's good to worship together, worship God together on Father's Day. Usually I ask the children for a question, and I usually hear some wonderful feedback. This morning, the CE ministry has a little gift to encourage and bless all of the fathers, and it's a little gift that I'll need some help. So if you are normally in the children's ministry, 11 years old on down, I'd like you to give me a hand passing out some gifts to the fathers that are here. So come on up, don't be shy. We want to give some gifts out to the fathers, and I can't pass them all out myself. So if you're normally in the children's Sunday school class, come Come on up, and I'd like you to take a handful of these. And if you're a father or grandfather, if you could stand, you could stand so that they will see you. Help me pass these out. Just take a few. And there are going to be fathers. So once you receive one, a grandfather perhaps, then you can have a seat. You can see some over there. Okay. Okay. You want to take some? And if there's any standing up, we'll let others. Okay, make sure you have a chance to pass them out. And if you have an extra, it's okay. 
All right. Give that to your dad. All right. Thank you. Thank you so very much. There might be some more standing up. Anybody else? I think there's a father who just came in the door. So, if anyone else is a father, we want to make sure you have a little gift. And it's a little pin. It's a little pen as a CE or Christian education ministry. Being a man of God, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Isaiah chapter 40. We hope that it encourages you as we desire to pray for you and support you. And we want this pen to be something that will remind you of, of our appreciation of your importance. You know, pens were used a lot more for other things than they are now. We use pens to write out checks. We use pens to sign our name. We use pens to um, various, uh, when we sign our credit card statements or whatever it might be. We use pens for those things. Pens were used for writing letters. That was back before email and text messages, etc. And I thought I came across a letter that was written, that was written by a father. And I want to read it to you because it is reflective of a father's love. One of the things, aside from the message this morning that I want you to remember, is the incredible love that a father has for his children. How God enlarges the hearts of a father to love their children despite some of the difficulties they face in raising their own children. And this difficulty comes... When this father writes to his daughter in the book, When God Doesn't Make Sense. And the letter that he wrote to his daughter reads like this. My dear Bristol, before you were born, I prayed for you. In my heart, I knew you would be a little angel. And so you were. When you were born on my birthday, April 7th, it was evident that you were a special gift from the Lord. But how profound a gift you turned out to be. More than the gurgles and rosy cheeks. More than the firstborn of my flesh. A joy unspeakable. You showed me God's love more than anything else in all creation. Bristol, you taught me how to love. I certainly loved you when you were cuddly and cute. When you jabbered your first words. I loved you when the searing pain of realization took hold that something was wrong, that maybe you weren't developing as quickly as your peers, and even when we decided and understood, it was more serious than that. I loved you when we went from hospital to clinic to doctor, looking for a medical diagnosis that would bring us some hope. And of course, we always prayed for you. We prayed and prayed. I loved you when you moaned and cried. Your mom and I and your sisters would drive for hours late at night to help you fall asleep. I loved you when you were confused, when with tears in your eyes, you would bite your fingers or your lip by accident. I loved you when your eyes crossed and then when you went blind, I most certainly loved you when you could no longer speak. But how profoundly I missed your voice. I loved you when scoliosis began to wrench your body like a pretzel. 
And when we put a tube in your stomach so you could eat, we fed you one spoonful at a time, even up to two hours per meal. I managed to love you when your contorted limbs made changing ten years of diapers difficult. Bristol, I even loved you when you could not say the one thing that I longed to hear back. Daddy, I love you. Bristol, I loved you when I was close to God, when he seemed far away, when I was full of faith, also when I was angry at him. And the reason I loved you, Bristol, in spite of these difficulties, is that God put this love in my heart. This is the wondrous nature of God's love. He loves us when we are blind or deaf or twisted in body or in spirit. God loves us even when we can't tell him that we love him back. My dear Bristol, you are now free. I look forward to that day when according to God's promises, we will be joined together, completely whole and full of joy. I'm so happy that your crown is received first. We will follow you someday in this time. Before you were born, I prayed for you. My heart, I knew you were a little angel. And so you were. Love, Daddy. On this Father's Day, we remember the great love of our fathers. And our fathers show us their love in different ways. Different fathers express it in different ways. Some work hard, some provide, some spend time, and others teach. We remember our fathers and we appreciate them this day. And today God has given to us a letter as well. And he has written to us a letter, a letter of love for us because he is our father. And in this letter he opens up the heart of the Apostle Paul. The heart of the Apostle Paul as a spiritual father. As a spiritual father, as he writes to these Corinthians and he tells them as a father his heart. For he calls himself in this particular passage their spiritual father. We've been studying through the book of 1 Corinthians and in the book of 1 Corinthians he pictures himself in different ways. He uses metaphors and analogies. He calls himself a servant, one who is a a servant like a table waiter. That's the word he uses. A diakonos, one who is a waiter or a busboy. He pictures himself in 1 Corinthians 3 as a builder who has laid the foundation. Who has laid the foundation. He says, be careful how you build upon the church. He pictures himself as a fellow worker of God in 1 Corinthians 3. One who is just a partner with God. He pictures himself as a servant, using a different word in chapter 4, which is a lowly galley slave, like you might imagine in Ben-Hur. And yet he pictures himself as a steward, as a house manager, who has great responsibility over all the aspects in dispensing the mysteries of God. He pictures himself as one, because they were divided as a church. They placed their teachers on a pedestal and they had pride because they followed Apollos or they followed Paul. They pictured them in a way that God had not desired that they do. And now he pictures himself in this text as a spiritual father. And we see here the Apostle Paul. 
the Apostle Paul, who opens up his heart as a father would to his children. And his care for them is not that they would be happy. His care for them is not that they would be well fed, that their church is big and growing, or that their church has a lot of money. His care for them is for their spiritual welfare. Because he is a spiritual father. His primary concern is that they be right with God, that they live a godly life. Those of you who are children here today, those of you who joined us from the back, normally in Sunday school, the heart of a Christian parent desires that you walk with God. If you look in your Bibles to 3 John verse 4, there's only one chapter there. It's the third book back from the end of the Bible, right before Jude, which is right before Revelation. 3 John verse 4. And here the Apostle John writes, and he says this in verse 4 of 3 John. Quote, I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. What greater joy is there? You can give your children everything that this world has to offer. Yet if they're not walking with God, if they don't know God, it is an ache in a parent's heart. And so, it begins though, and walking with God with the responsibility of parents to share their faith with their children, to share the gospel with their children, to share the hope that they have as a family to be together, just like this father desired to be with Bristol in heaven someday. And if your children are Christians, then it's the role of a father to do certain things, as Paul outlines here in his own example to us, what it means to be a spiritual father. What does it mean to be a godly man who leads his family? Here Paul exemplifies that. How he leads the church. And we'll see here that he corrects and counsels them. That he sets a good example, secondly. That he teaches them. And fourthly, that he disciplines them. So we look at verse 14. He says, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. The first thing that a spiritual father does is that he corrects them or he counsels them. In the previous passage when we had studied this, we look and see that they had an arrogance about them. They thought they had arrived and Paul writes to them, Ah, you are already filled, you are already rich, verse 8. You become kings, etc., etc. And he says, Oh, us apostles, we were perhaps the lowest of all of them, eh? They had pride. They had pride that had made them arrogant to think that they were self-sufficient. To think that they could handle life on their own. They didn't need all of the other things. And there were factions in the church. It was all divided and polarized because there was pride. And he corrects them for that. He corrects their arrogance. You know, we used to see perhaps more of it on television I remember watching television and there would be various sports things on, whether it's football or basketball, and you see how certain players would just talk head and brag up about what they would be able to do and how they were going to pulverize the other team or whatever it was. Now they've made certain rules where you can't taunt the other team once you score a touchdown. And that's because not only is it poor sportsmanship, it is wrong and in God's eyes it's sinful. Because the arrogance of the Corinthians was pride. And 
Paul confronts them. And he confronts them and he says in verse 14 that he doesn't do it to shame them. He doesn't do it to disgrace them. He doesn't do it to embarrass them. He doesn't have a chip on his own shoulder and says, Look, buddy, let me tell you, you think you've got one up. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees, etc. And he doesn't come across like that. But he seeks to admonish them. That's What does that word mean? It means to counsel with a view to changing one's mind that they might think godly thoughts. And that's what a father is to do. We get the word nuthetail from that, from which we get the idea of nuthetic counseling. It means to take the truth of the word of God and to transfer it through counsel into someone's mind and heart so that they will change their ways. That's what admonish means. That's what the role of a parent is to be, to counsel, to correct. And he does that for these Corinthians. He does that because he cares. He cares and it says that he considers them his beloved children. His beloved children to teach them and to counsel them and to tell them what is right. One of the things I enjoy and I really love is I love this church. I love this church and I love the church and I have the privilege of serving here. I have the privilege of serving here. I remember when I was a boy, I would, I would take my sister's bike because I didn't have one. I'd take my sister's bike and the, the church would be some three miles away up the hill. And during the week, I would love to ride up to the church and there would be a door that would kind of, they would leave halfway locked. And I say halfway because if I pulled it in the right way, I'd be able to open the door and I'd get in. And I'd be able to come and sit in the sanctuary to spend time with God. Because what a privilege it is to pray. And I consider it a privilege to pray. To pray for you. I look at your children. I look at the directory. I pray for the salvation of your children. I pray that you would grow. I pray that you would be more mature. I pray that you would be encouraged. I know that many of you reach out to your friends and relatives. I pray that God would bring people into your life that you can touch with the gospel. I have the privilege of serving you and serving here. And I pray. Sometimes I think to myself, has the church, has the church maybe sinned? I get up. I ask of God, God, forgive us. And I think that's what Job did for his own children every day. I pray. And it's a privilege to serve. And it's in that context that Paul has a care for his own. That he says to them, I admonish you and I want to correct you because you're my beloved children. And that's the reason that parents, your father, will correct you as well. Because he cares. It's difficult to see people not walk with God. It's difficult to see if you have a child that they are not walking with God because you have a pain in your heart. And like the Corinthians who are here and they had pride in chapter 4. And when you ask them, how are you doing? And what do they say? Oh, I'm fine. And you wonder, how is their walk with God? Are they really doing fine? So one friend said to me, isn't God only there when you need him? 
kind of like a fireman. You never call him until your house is on fire. God is not like that. God desires that you would walk with Him. And when somebody is walking down the broad road that leads to destruction, maybe it's your child. You need to counsel them. You need to correct them. And you know that many times, parents, for those of you who are children, those of you who are kids, many times your parent will tell you things that are hard to hear. But it's because they care, because they desire that you not grow up to be a person who is bad, a person who is undisciplined, a person who doesn't know any better about many things, because a responsible father will correct and admonish his children. And when they do, you are to receive that correction. Proverbs 15, 5 says what? A fool, a fool spurns his father's discipline. But whoever heeds correction shows prudence or wisdom. So a father is to counsel or correct when things are not going right. Secondly, he is to set a godly example, verse 15 and 16. He is to set a godly example. He says, well, you can have various countless tutors in Christ. Therefore, I exhort you in verse 16, be imitators of me. Be imitators of me. Paul uh, He was the model for missionaries, planting many churches across Asia Minor, wasn't he? And in so doing, he became the father of many. Having spiritual children, he was their father. People can have many tutors, can't they? People can have many Sunday school teachers, many Christian school teachers, many friends, relatives, mentors. But there is primarily one person, oftentimes, not always, who has led them to the Lord or one primary person who has helped you to grow. And if I were to ask you that, who would that primary person be? Well, you can probably think in your mind's eye, there was someone who was a spiritual parent to you. Someone who showed you the way. Someone who led you, who taught you. Someone that you admire, that you would like to be like. Oftentimes there are few and far between ideal mentors or whatnot. But nonetheless, nonetheless, Paul says here, be imitators of me. And the word comes from the word from which we get the word mimic. We are to be a copy of our fathers as they set a good spiritual example. For us in the family to set a good spiritual example. It's not just to do as I say, but do as I say and do as I do. To live a life before your own children. To be an example. You know, one of the things I think about my own father, that he has modeled for me, is hard work and patience. Hard work and patience. My father, a number of years ago, turned 80. He's about 84 or so now, and he had worked long hours. And some 15 years ago or so, he technically he retired, but he never really did. He was still a working man, and he would always work. And I remember a few years ago, he was 80 years old, and there he was, climbing on the roof of my mother's home, fixing the tiles that had blown off. And I'm like, Dad, you're 80 years old. What do you think you're doing up there? You can't climb on the roof. You know how he does it. He doesn't use a ladder. I don't think he climbs on the railing and then helps himself up on the roof from the back porch. He, he's a hard worker. And he still is. In fact, the other week, I 
went home to spend some time with my folks to have dinner. And there he was. He was in his overalls, or coveralls, because he was working. He had laid out a nice tile floor for the bathroom. And I'll tell you, he did a nice job. He's a hard worker, but in his patience, he was looking at it and he was telling me about it. And then he laughed and he said, look what happened now. The tile floor that he had put in didn't allow him to close the bathroom door anymore because the floor was too high. What good is a nice floor if you can't use the bathroom in private? (laughs) I knew the solution was simple. You just cut off the bottom of the door a little bit, but he didn't get impatient. And many times when people get older... Their pride gets in the way and they decide, you know what, I can't do this and they become angry or they become frustrated. Dad has always been very, very patient whenever he's taught me to do things that were practical, whether it's remodel a bathroom or whatever it was, and I'd mess up something. I'd cut through a pipe, I'd make the thing leak, I would mispaint something, I'd miss something. And he'd laugh and say, well, do it again. He has patience. Paul modeled for these Corinthians and said, be imitators of me and in so doing uncompromising truth or to live a godly life, to live the way that Paul lived and taught. And he sent to them Timothy. That's what he did. Fathers are to be spiritual leaders, spiritual initiators, spiritual encouragers, spiritual examples for their families. And no father is perfect by any means. But to be able to see that they, what, strive to know God, strive to love God, to love His Word, to love what is right, to know and lead their families. What kind of a role model are you? Do you love and study the Word of God? What is your prayer life like? Do you enjoy serving the Lord or the examples through the things that you do and say? Spiritual fathers are to teach and counsel. Or there's a counsel and correct. Spiritual fathers are to be an example. And thirdly, spiritual fathers, verse 17, are to teach God's way. To teach God's way. Thirdly. For this reason, I've sent to you Timothy. And he says, he'll remind you of my ways, just as I teach everywhere in the church. Paul not only lived a committed life to God, but he taught it. He not only just lived it, but he continued to teach it to others. And his testimony was so powerful that his protege or his disciple or the man that he had lived and lived and taught with uh, Timothy was a replica of him. He would go and teach the Corinthians and remind them of what Paul had taught. Teaching is so very basic, isn't it? Teaching is so very basic to the responsibility of a parent. You teach your children. And even some of the things that we take for granted. In fact, somebody came into the office just last week, somebody that doesn't attend this church, and they work with young parents, young parents, often teenage parents, who are in difficult circumstances and they were sharing with me some of these teenage parents they don't even know how to get their kids to bed or how to set an alarm clock so their their children will be able to get up in time for school 
Or they don't even know how to go to the grocery store to do shopping for their family. They can't even take care of themselves, let alone take care of their children. Parents are to teach their children all of these things, but even more so, not just how to take care of themselves, but to how to take care of their spiritual lives, how to read the scriptures, how to look things up, how to do their devotions, how to pray. They're to teach them God's way. You can be a good protector for your family, as that is a responsibility. You can be a good provider for your family, but if you're not a person who teaches God's way, what good will that be? And teaching them is not the idea of shoveling them off to someone else to teach. Not that it's bad, but it's not the same simple as, well, I'll take them and shove them in a Sunday school class, or I'll take them and I'll just have a, I'll take them to the vacation Bible school or to the Christian school. It's their responsibility to teach. No. Teacher is to come not only from those things, but from the parent. To teach them God's way. As in Deuteronomy 6 tells us what? To teach and speak of the things of God throughout life. And a teacher implies that you're a learner. A teacher implies that you're a learner. After all, you cannot teach what you do not know. You cannot communicate what's not on your heart. And a teacher needs to communicate what one has learned, right? I mean, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to ask your kids, what did you learn in Sunday school today? What did you learn in your Christian school class? Or what did you learn from vacation Bible school? It's good. What did you learn in fellowship? What did you learn in your small group Bible studies? That's a good thing. But it is also a good thing for you kids to ask your parents, what did God teach you this week? What did you learn in the service What did the pastor preach on? Or what did you learn in your devotions today, mom, dad? What did you learn? An opportunity to share the things of God with one another to teach. So a spiritual father, as we see here in Paul, counsels and corrects. He leads a godly example and he teaches God's way. And fourthly, he disciplines his children. Verse 18 to 21. He disciplines his children. In the end of verse 21, he says, Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Their arrogance made them into talkers. But he wanted to see what was their deeds. Not only were Paul's words strong, but he carried a big stick. And sometimes in the church, discipline is necessary. With unrepentant sin, discipline is necessary. And it tells us how to in Matthew chapter 18. But discipline is always motivated by love when it is proper and right. And a parent disciplines you because what? They love you. They don't want you to grow up to walk away from God. They want you to do what's right, to be wise. A child who is not disciplined has parents who don't care deeply about their children's welfare, who let them run and do whatever it is. No. Church leaders sometimes don't correct or don't discipline. Why? Because of selfishness. They want people to like them and they care more about themselves than they do about the welfare of someone who is walking into sin. Who's pursuing things that are ungodly and clearly sinful things. 
God is our model for discipline. God disciplines us. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, it says, For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines and He scourges every son whom He receives. That's why we have difficulties in life sometimes. We sometimes have difficulties in life because God is disciplining us. He wants to teach us. He gives us trials for that purpose. That's not always the case. And that's not to be confused with the natural built-in consequences of our sin. You see, when we sin against God, we suffer the consequences of those sins, don't we? That's not to be confused with the discipline of God. I mean, if I say to myself, or if I'm a student, and I say, well, you know what, I'm not going to go to school today. And you don't graduate. You don't say, God's disciplining me. You made a bad choice. That's what it was. Don't blame God for your lack of wisdom. You're going to suffer the consequences. The consequences of your lack of discipline. Or if you decide, you know what, I'm going to have for the next month, like that movie, Big Macs, a supersized fry, and maybe a Cinnabon for dessert every day, and you get a heart attack, don't say God is punishing you. You clogged your own arteries. That's just built in. You grow what you sow. Now, I've heard people blame God when they've made some poor choice in the past, and they say, you know what, God is disciplining me. It's not my fault. God is disciplining me. Don't blame God. Blame ourselves for our own sin and repent. When God disciplines, it's oftentimes not a natural consequence of sin, even though it's because of sin, of that particular one. We think of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the passage on communion. You remember that? They had communion back in those days, and we'll come to that passage They called it a love feast. And what did they do? The love feast was not only a time to remember the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, but they had a potluck back then. Everybody would bring their food. All right? They would bring their food to this love feast. And those who had a lot would bring their prime rib and steak and shrimp and seafood, etc. platter and place it in front of themselves. And those who had poor hardly had anything. And not only that... They didn't wait for one another. They decided they were going to go ahead and eat. And so the one who had much would begin to eat and enjoy all of the food that they brought from themselves and their family while the one who was poor over there just ate their bowl of oatmeal. Do you know what? That sin resulted in God's discipline. And that is why when God says in that chapter to examine our own hearts, what did He do? The Corinthians didn't repent And many of them became sick and some God took their life. Why? Because he disciplined them. One of the responsibilities of a father as a spiritual leader then is to discipline, correct them in a way that would guide them back to God's way. And sometimes it can even be in the form of tough love. So for fathers who want to be spiritual fathers, it begins with leading your child to Christ and sharing with them the gospel or somehow that they come to the Lord. But here Paul models for us what a spiritual father does. And it relates to us as well. For a spiritual father corrects and counsels. A spiritual father sets a godly example as Paul did. A spiritual father teaches him God's way and what? Fourthly, disciplines his children. Now fathers, as I mentioned to you, 
aren't perfect. They're not perfect. So don't be too hard on them. I remember flying back from Uganda and I sat next to this young lady who shared with me about how frustrated she was at her own father because he wasn't the type of man that she had expected him to be. Fathers have a tough job. It's not easy being a father. It's not easy being mother, I'm sure. The responsibilities are heavy and it's easy to judge too quickly and to be too hard on them because our pride so easily sees the faults of others more so than the faults of our own selves. So before being too hard, you ask yourself, am I a perfect child? Am I a perfect son? Am I a perfect daughter? Am I a perfect spouse or wife or mother? We'd all probably say no. And neither are they. But they try. And when they try, when they truly try to spiritually lead, sometimes it's not their fault. Sometimes it could be that we don't want to follow. We don't want to follow their spiritual leadership. They say, let's pray more. And what do we do? We decide we're going to play for a longer period of time. They say, well, you know what, it would be good to have some family devotions once in a while to share together and to talk together. And we say, what, I'm too busy. They may say, we should go to this conference or go to that speaker or whatever, maybe that missions, whatever. And we say, rather go on vacation. Fathers who try, don't buck the trend as they try to lead and be spiritual leaders. Because they're a tremendous blessing and God has given them that responsibility to be the spiritual leaders, to set the pace, to say, be imitators of me as I follow Christ. And we trust that God works in their heart to lead, just as he has in my own father's life. Be patient. God works in fathers and He gives them a tremendous capacity to love their families and He gives them a tremendous love for their children which they had not before that they can love their children despite how their children are. Despite all of the times we've given them a bad time, they love their children and for that we honor them and we desire to be an imitator of them in that regard. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, today, O God, we pray that you would help each of us to live and model ourselves after Paul, who said, Be imitators of me, who taught others, who counseled others, who led them in an example disciplined and God I pray for wisdom for us for it not only applies to fathers Lord but we too are to teach to lead by example to counsel to help others to grow in you that we might be pure and blameless in your sight we pray God may your spirit fill our heart that we might live a life that is pleasing to you, especially, Father, for those who are earthly fathers here. In Jesus' most precious name, amen.